All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to the greatest prayer in the Bible, in my opinion. There's 650 prayers recorded in the Bible, and I believe this is the best, the very best. John 17. John 17. It's the prayer of our Lord right before Calvary. And uh, I don't believe it's uh, uh, Matthew 6 or Luke 11 is the Lord's prayer. I believe that's the disciples' prayer because he said, Lead, uh, uh, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, and to forgive us of our sins. And that is uh, not the Lord's need, it's the disciples' need. But he's praying for his disciples, but also I'll prove to you tonight through this prayer that he's praying for you personally. And uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. So one of the most encouraging facts tonight is that the Lord's praying for you. You know, I've had a lot of people pray for me, and when some people try, uh, ask me to pray for them, I try to pray immediately so I won't forget or lie and say I will and won't. And, um, you know, there's an urgent need for prayer. Just some of the things that were shared during the prayer meeting are just, just awesome uh, needs in people's lives that, uh, you know, God uh, wants to intervene if, if people will just get right with God and there needs to be peace in this world and there's war and our young men out there fighting battles and um, iniquities abounding. This world is, is deceitful and it's uh, desperately wicked and it's dangerous. And folks, I want you to see in John 16 verse 33, uh, and I won't have you stand because I'm going to be preaching and, and teaching uh, a long time. You don't want to stand for 45 minutes um, or 40 minutes. But the Bible says in John 16, 33, and one year I was having such a bad year, I claim this is my, oh, not a bad year, just a lot of tribulation and trials. I claim this verse in a very trying year in my life. Uh, the pastor I worked for uh, committed adultery with his secretary and then he killed his wife, my wife's best friend, got away with it, went out in California and started a Southern Baptist church, and uh, God uh, killed him at the age of 47, and I thought about his son the other day for some reason, Matthew, that uh, was real close to Connie, and uh, he started that church from scratch, and it grew phenomenally, I mean, just unreal, and called me down to be a youth pastor for two years, and thank God... Uh, the Lord uh, led Brother Paul Forsythe to mentor me and help me and uh, dire redirect me, I guess. And um, I was deceived by uh, a man of God that I thought was so great. And, and there was 500 in attendance in a storefront. And uh, just, just so, so deceived and so despondent that I had to go to this verse to stay in the ministry. I wanted to quit. And my wife and I fasted for three days and three nights. And a little motel uh, room that we were, it was our abode. It was a little apartment uh, down in Claxton, Georgia, that had two and a half inches of snow. They think the world's come to an end. Now we can laugh at them. I mean, we, we northerners can laugh at our southern, <laughs> our south Georgia friends, you know. They're, they're, you know, hey, we know how to handle snow. Yeah, that's a bunch of baloney. But uh, it, was, it was a trying year, and God gave me this verse to help me through the year. And here it is. It says, These things have I spoken to you. That in me you might have peace. I needed that. A whole lot of it. Because I was falling apart. And it says, In the world you shall have tribulation. Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now don't get the uh, chapter breaks and think it's the it's end of the thought. The Lord does end His teaching to His disciples in verse 16. 
And John is so close to the Lord Jesus Christ that he records his prayer. This is the high priestly prayer. You ought to enter into John 17 with a holy awe. You're about to hear the Lord pray. You're about to hear Him pray for disciples that are going to face all kinds of Hades on this earth, trials and tribulation. Uh, we get the word uh, witness from the word in the Greek, martyr. And uh, folks, it's, it's, it, was a, it was a day of terrible tribulation. And he said, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. So he's recording this, and he's probably in such a holy awe, he didn't want to write down, but the Holy Ghost told him to remember it at least, give him total recall. And he said, Father, the hour is come, and here's his first line of his prayer, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. In other words, I'm going to Calvary, I know that, I've already prayed in the garden, not my will but thine be done. And now I want you to uh, receive me back into heaven and uh, into the glory. And li listen to this. Here's the greatest definition of salvation in the Bible. In verse 2 and 3 it says, And thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life, so as to many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. Here it is. This is life eternal. This is real salvation, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now folks, salvation is not a religion, and salvation is not a dogma. Salvation is a relationship. You need to know God through Jesus Christ. And th look, look at this prayer. This, you know, we ought to just pause and, and, uh, and, and meditate. It says in verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. Now, folks, if there's ever a verse that we ought to pray would be our verse at the end of our life, it ought to be this. Lord, I have glorified thee on this earth. You know, tomorrow I'll be attending Frank Caceres' funeral at 3 o'clock. Brother Rick Spence is sick. And he's taking part in the service, told us, asked us to pray for him. Brother Steve Gregory's sick. It's because he baptized himself up here while he knocked all that water off on him. And uh, he's watching now. And uh, he was telling me he wouldn't be here tonight because he hated to skip the service after he preached. And did a great job. Brother Jeremy brought a great message. But I want to tell you something, folks. The greatest blessing in our life that we could pray on our deathbed would be verse 4. Let me read it again. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I finished the work. God's not going to call you home until he, He's ready to call you home, but He can call you home early. There is a sin unto death, 1 John 5, 16, if you're out of the will of God. But you're immortal in the will of God until God's ready to call you home. And I hope He calls you home faithful. Uh, that, you know, we, we made mention after Faith's wonderful testimony uh, Sunday night about how Robert and Miss Shirley's te testimony that touched all our hearts is that um, Robert finished right. He was in the will of God. He was happy in the Lord, longing and desiring things of God. That was not always his life. But we, don't, we, don't, we don't want to bring up that life. That's under the blood. And praise God, he finished right. I pray I finish right. I know a lot of preacher friends that are on the shelf tonight, and they're, uh, they're, uh, they're out of the ministry, and their homes are a wreck, 
their families uh, split up. It's all because they one day did not get up and pray. And they started preaching in the flesh. They started ministering in the flesh. They started doing things in the flesh. But I want you to see the prayer to overcome the world. The prayer to overcome the world. Number one, John 16, 33 says, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have a lot of trouble. And in this world, you shall have tribulation. It didn't say you might have tribulation. It said you shall have tribulation. And, um, but it says you can have peace in the midst of the storm. And you can realize it because I have overcome the world. Now, he enters into this prayer. And folks, world's mentioned 19 times in this prayer. And so I really believe this is a prayer for you and me and the disciples to overcome the world. So if there's ever a, a, a chapter we should not take just one week on, I believe I feel led of the Lord to stay here for a little while, for a few Wednesday nights. I hope I make it back from the airport um, next uh, Wednesday, but don't count on it. Because um, I really need to be in church after we say goodbye to Amy and Mark and all the kids. Uh, and I'll try to make it back if I possibly can, but uh, Atlanta has a lot of traffic. Uh, and they're going to have a lot of it Monday night, aren't they? But it says, I have glorified thee on the earth. Didn't mean to bring that up, Brother Bobby and Brother, Brother Scott. Here's an Alabama fan and a Georgia fan. We're not going to split the church over it. And we're not going to pray over the game either because there's, there's a lot more important things to do. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I'm glad I'm on the winning side. Amen. Brother Gary Brewer, he wouldn't know, he wouldn't know a football game from a sports car race. I guarantee you that. But, you know, folks, we're not, we're not involved in sports in this, in this auditorium. We're involved in something more important, trying to overcome and be victorious in this world. Amen. The battle is on. And folks, the front line is on. And folks, there's a lot of wickedness and, and uh, demonic terrorism going on. But folks, there's a lot of wickedness right here in this community and in this area. And we need to, we need to learn how to overcome the world. So if you're interested in how to overcome the world, this prayer will set you free. And he gives four things in this prayer that will help you overcome the world. Four things that will help you uh, realize how detrimental. The, the world's mentioned 19 times. And the characteristic of the world is not the world that he created, uh, the created universe, uh, or the world of humanity. It's a world system. You know, it's the uh, world of sports. It's the world, and that's not demonic, but I'm just saying if it is, for, put it for the Lord. The world of finance. But it's the world of, of Satan. And he's the prince and power of this world. And uh, we live according to the course of this world, Ephesians chapter 2, 2. But thank God our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Thank God we don't belong to this world. We're passing through. But I want to tell you something. Number one, if you don't, you don't believe it or not, and I know you do, Jesus in his prayer mentions the world 19 times, but the first time he mentions the world is in verse 5. Look at this. It says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, folks, a lot of people are trying to overcome the world, and we are connected with God Almighty who was before the world, and he created the world. And the devils messed up the world and the flesh, and uh, uh, rebellion and sin, don't you hate it? I mean, what, what, what people are going through 
And folks, number, number one, it's a deceived world. Uh, look at um, uh, the next verse. It says, I have manifest thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest me them me, and they have kept thy word. And so he says, in the introduction of his prayer, he says, Lord, um, I, I, manifested, I manifested your name through these men. What men? Disciples. He sees, this is a prayer for these disciples that are about to face all kinds of persecution. And he says, uh, he said, they're not, they're out, they, you gave me out of the world. They got saved. They're not to act like the world, look like the world, uh, react like the world. And they're sure not to blend in with the world and go down the train with the world. They're called to be disciples. Look at verse 7. Now they have, I'm just going to give you an overview of the whole chapter and we'll study it next next week uh, and a few Wednesday nights. It says, and, and, and now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. And folks, we need to realize the wealth in Christ and the power in Christ and in his name and the power of prayer because the world is deceived. It says, for I have given to them the words which thou gavest me. First thing, and it'll be my second point, but the first thing he comes to in his prayer is, I've given them something to help them overcome the world and to reach the world and to manifest me in the world. And that's the words, the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them, look at verse 8, and have known surely that I have came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. We ought to believe that God sent Jesus Christ into this world to save this wicked world. And that God sent us to be an overcomer. And I want to tell you something, it's a sad fact today, but there's a lot of Christians that are getting overcome by the world. They're acting like the world. They're living like the world. They're living by the flesh and the feelings of the world. And folks, they're not a witness. It's a sad fact. Jesus is praying they'll be out of this world. That you'll be citizens, but not just citizens, not just pilgrims, but ambassadors, witnesses. That's our call. It's a high call. Let's go on. And this, you know, we ought to pause for a second and realize he's praying now. I pray for them. I pray for them. That must have thrilled John's heart when he heard that. And folks, it ought to thrill your heart. He's praying for you. What is He praying for you to be and then to do? That's what this prayer will answer. And folks, if we could live up and believe what He just prayed about, what He's about to pray about in these uh, 26 verses, it will change your life. It will revolutionize your testimony and it will revolutionize your prayer life. This is a tremendous chapter. It's the holies of holies of the New Testament. It's entering into the presence of God, speaking to God. He says, I pray for them. Now listen to this. I pray not for the world, but for them, which thou hast given me, and they are mine. You ought to underline that. They are mine. Folks, you think the devil's taken over. You got another thought coming. You are God's. Now I belong to Jesus. Some reason that was 
Brother Franklin Holmes' favorite song. He always wanted it sung. We never sung it much. It's such a hard song. But now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that overcomes this world. But he prays for four things that we should have uh, to overcome the world. It says, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. There's the design of your life. There's the motive for your prayer. There's the reason that you do not succumb to the temptations of this world and blend in with this society. I am glorified in them. What a challenge. He's praying for you, for these disciples, that they'd overcome the world and be a witness to the world that he might be glorified in them. Look at verse 11. Uh, I've already counted uh, one, two, three, probably overlooked one, four times the word worlds mentioned. Now I am no more in this world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. He's about to go to Calvary. Last words are very important. I tried my best to get down to Decatur, Georgia to hear my daddy's last words. And his last words were, read me Psalms 23. That's better than, I wish I wasn't in this jail or drunk on the side of the road or burned up in a house because of sin. He said, read me Psalms 23. And they did. Thank God for those godly black nurses that ministered to my daddy. Folks, I want to tell you something. We're not of this world. And now I'm no more in the world, but these are, these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. The sad truth is that the average church today is not one. It's a sad truth today. The average marriage is not one. And folks, our prayer, the prayer, the prayer, I'm just trying to give you the overview of this whole, whole, whole great prayer, the greatest prayer in the Bible. Out of 650 prayers, this is the best because it's God, it's Jesus praying. He said, keep them. Holy Father, keep, I'm keeping them through thine own name. Now you that are Arminian persuasion or church of God, you got a, you got a problem with this verse. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you think you can lose your salvation, the Bible says you're kept through His name. One of the reasons that we can overcome the world is that the world can't overcome us. And the devil cannot take us out of His hand. And Lord, we're saved forever. We have eternal life. Does that not shake you up a little bit to be different? And to realize this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. And only what's done for Christ will last. I was at a funeral today and a lot was said, but Brother Guffey said this and I agree with him totally and say it all the time. Nobody preaches another person's funeral. You preach your own. By the decisions you make, by the choices you make, by your priorities, and I believe by your service in the local church. A lot of preachers can't say much about a lot of members except they were saved. That's sad. Because God's not called you to just be saved. God's called you to be sanctified. We'll get to that in just a minute. And He's also called you to be satisfied. <laughs> Amen. That means you ought to smile once in, once, in a, once in a week 
Amen. Maybe once a month. Shouldn't take a ball game to get you to smile. I smile a lot, though. <laughs> but, you know, thought the people in the house was going to tear it up. I mean, missionaries ought to be dignified. They shouldn't jump couches when somebody gets, wins a little blooming ball game. But anyway, I'm old and mature. I've got over it. But listen, it says this. It says this, listen. And now I'm no more in the world. Hey, he's, he's already counted the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension is taking place because he's going there. I'm no longer the world. I'm going home. This is my last prayer and testimony. This is my last will and testimony for the church of the living God and for the disciples and for you. Because he says, but these are in the world and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep, keep through thy own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are. Isn't that a beautiful picture of salvation that God gives you to Jesus as a gift? And God's not an Indian giver. And Jesus is not an Indian giver. He won't take your salvation away from you because He gave you to Jesus. Isn't that what that verse says? He gave you to as a gift. And, and you're kept and you're in the name of Jesus. And then we go to the next mention of the word world in verse 12. Almost every verse has the word world in 19 times out of 26 verses. It says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost. <laughs> none of them's lost. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But the son of perdition, who was that? Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. You know what that was? He never was saved. Some people in the Arminian persuasion that says you can lose your salvation, not once saved, always saved, says, well, Judas lost his salvation. No, Judas never got saved. You can be in the church and be lost. You can be part of the disciples and be lost. He said, he said while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, there's that gift again, I have kept. I have kept, and none of them is lost. None of them, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Verse 13. I believe that's seven times the world's, world, world's. I'm trying to make a point that he's praying for you to overcome the world. And now come I to thee. Oh, here's the definition of prayer. Now come I to thee. Now come I to thee. Folks, that's why there should be nothing in your life to harm your prayer life. There should be nothing in your life that cuts you out of fellowship. The Bible says in Psalm 66, 18, if you regard iniquity in your heart, he will not hear you. Oh, it's just a little grudge. I ain't speaking to my son or my daughter. Well, he ain't going to hear you. I ain't speaking to the preacher except when he speaks to me. I'm mad at him. He didn't put my name in the bulletin last Sunday. You won't have your prayers answered. I'm sort of mad at Sister Flapjaw because she keeps writing me up in the Facebook. You won't have your prayers answered. I don't care how much you want to say it's just Facebook. If you've got a grudge against a brother or sister, God will not hear your prayer. Okay, I'll read it. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. And It might be Mark. I'm not sure. I think it's Matthew. If it's not, we'll go to Mark 11. Strong verses. 
And it is Mark. Amen. Mark chapter 11. Let's try that. Yes, and look at verse 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe. That's a requirement for for prayer answers. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. There ought to be a lot of faith when you pray. You ought to have a real direction in the will of God when you pray. You ought to claim some things. But it says, and when you stand praying, forgive, verse 25, if you have all against any that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you and your trespasses. But verse 26 is pungent. Says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. He won't even forgive your sins because you've got an alt against a brother or sister. So John chapter 17, he said, I'm trying to keep them from holding grudges. I'm trying to keep them from uh, harboring sin. I'm trying to keep them from uh, uh, shallow believism of, of I can just live like I want to and and live uh, the flesh and the dev- and the, fle- the world and the flesh and the devil uh, dominate my life. I- I'm trying to keep them, and I am going to keep them. It says, "Now come out to thee, that these which I s- listen to this. Now come out to thee. What a great definition of prayer. And these things I speak in the world that thou thou might didn't circle that word world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves." So the first thing he really prays for is this. If you want to overcome the world. And that is the world's deceived and the world is dangerous. But thank God, folks, there ought to be a spiritual resource that he's praying for you to have. And number one, I want you to know it's, it's the joy of the Lord. Look at verse 13. And now come I to thee. He's getting down to praying now about having you having victory over the world. And these things I speak in the world, that, the, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I'll stop right there and just preach a little while on the first resource to overcome the world that the Lord has prayed for you to have is joy. The joy of the Lord, not the joy of, of the happiness of the world. Jesus was full of joy. He was going to Calvary. He was a man of sorrow, but he counted it all joy to go to the cross for you. There's a joy in fulfilling and finishing the work of God and being one that glorifies God. It's a joy to let your little life and my little life count for all eternity and see souls saved and not live by the world's system. And folks, he was a man of sorrow, uh, he saw sin destroy people's lives, but he had the joy of God saving them. We have sorrow in this world, we have sin in this world, and we have Satan in this world, but one of the greatest joys that you can have is that you pray, John 16, 24, and your prayers get answered. And folks, one of the ways that we ought to pray, and the number one prayer request on our list is not that people would stay out of heaven, but that people would stay out of hell. Amen. Come on now. And I believe in praying for the sick. And I believe that God heals through prayer. And I think it's great that we pray for that. But I want to tell you something, friend. There ought to be a lot of people that we pray for that are lost. And when they get saved, what a joy. Amen. John, uh, 
Luke 15 says there's joy in the presence of angels over one sinner that repenteth. One sinner. I mean, all of heaven, joy bells break loose. And so, folks, his joy, his joy. Um, and then his word in verse 14. And then our identity with Christ. And then, our, then Christ praying for us. Those four things ought to reinforce that we can overcome the world. But I want us to go to the next, uh, uh, the, the first point is that Christian joy is a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. He said over and over again, my, them that you gave me, uh, that you gave me out of the world, and I want to be glorified through them. And, it, and it's not like some distant prayer of a lot of flamboyant language that we don't understand. He's just praying, oh God, I love them. I want them. I have a plan for them. You will keep them. You are powerful through them. You're glorified through them, the disciples. And so folks, he was joyful, not that they were going to face the terrible onslaught of persecution, but he was joyful knowing that God was enough to, for them to be overcomers. Joy in life is not the absence of sorrow. It's, it's the sunshine that God makes when there's darkness. It's the spring of living water when there's a desert. One of the greatest joys of my life is seeing God come through when I thought no way in the world I could make it another day. No way in the world I was going to get back in the ministry and get hurt again by some preacher that was a false prophet and full of himself, and full of the devil. So Jesus shared his joy in verse 13. He says, Now come out of thee, these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Folks, there's something about being satisfied in Jesus for you to overcome the world. And it just makes sense that the Lord's praying, number one, for you, Christian joy to deepen as an evidence of a deep relationship with the Lord. And that you have a relationship with Christ and that your prayers are being answered. And it's not through substitution. Christ gives us joy by transformation. But, and the world tries to give us joy by substitution. You know, everybody thinks, if I can have more money, I'll have joy. My team wins, I'll have joy. If the weather's pleasant, I'll have joy. If I make a lot of money, I'll have more joy. Did I say that twice? And folks, I want to tell you something. That's not the answer to joy. Some of the most miserable people I know, and I don't really know because they won't speak to me, they live on Mount Sinai up here. I've knocked on their door and the intercom comes on and says, What? I can tell you right now, they're mad. Because somebody knocked on their little mansion up there. I knock on them anyway, amen? I want so much to go up here when they're worshiping this Buddhist up here, witness to them. If y'all go with me, I'll go. And uh, talk to them about the Lord, amen? Not be nasty, not burn their statue, not knock it down. Just witness to them in love. Tell them, hey, you're deceived. You're not going to come back as grandmama's steak or cow or whatever they say they are. God, help them. They're not going to come back as a grasshopper. They're not going to come back as an animal or a bulldog or an elephant. That's pathetic, isn't it? I mean, really, we laugh, but that's pathetic that they believe that kind of junk. 
And folks, the only way that we're going to teach them that's, that's in this cult is that we have a joy that they don't have. And that we have a peace that they do not have. And that we have love that they've never felt and never possessed. So a person who experiences the joy of Jesus Christ will, be interested, uh, will not be interested in anything the world has to offer. You're a satisfied customer. As Brother Lou Rossi has talked about that new convert praying in that prayer meeting on that Sunday night. Lord, I'm a satisfied customer. <laughs> Amen. He didn't know how to pray these accolades. God of Rehoboam, Jeroboam, all those Boam boys were gathered here today. He didn't know how to impress them. He just said, Lord, I'm a satisfied customer. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. You can ask my prayers now. I don't know how to pray, but I know you, you're just as much my father as any of these guys in this room. That's what he was praying. I'm full of joy. God help us not to lose the joy of our salvation. God help us to realize we're going to heaven instead of hell. And God help us to realize we have a Father that loves us, that will take care of us, that will equip us, that will protect us, that will help us. And folks, joy comes from Him, not them. Christ gives us joy by transformation, not substitution. Uh, a child brings joy. And folks, I want to tell you something. There's no greater joy to a mom sometimes. And folks, they'll be crying and there'll be many nights of, of no sleep, but folks, uh, uh, it, there's pains in labor I hear. I've been around it and never experienced it. I can't even take a kidney stone, much less have a baby. But uh, uh, folks, it's a lot of pain. But oh, when that child comes forth, there's a lot of joy. I've never seen a frowning mama after that baby comes. Unless they were just, just mad about the whole situation. But uh, folks, listen, there's tr God transforms pain into joy. You might not always uh, get a replacement in this world, but I want to tell you something. There's a joy. There's a joy. Uh, it's not a replacement mentality. It's that God does not major on substitutes and gives you things of the world to get you joyful. Folks, I wish drug addicts would understand that. I wish people that were hooked on their pride and self would understand they cannot find it in this world. Jesus is saying, the only way these disciples are going to be persecuted and murdered and drugged down the streets of Lystra and fed to lions and looked at as prey for a sports event as they're uh, uh, being slayed in public is that they are satisfied with me and my calling upon their life. And life is unbearable trying to get substitutes. A few more drinks, a few more hours of entertainment, a trip on dope, sex, spending money, traveling, all this stuff becomes a substitute for facing the real problem. People who live on substitutes are self-centered. They're immature. They don't really learn to deal with sorrow or pain or disappointment because they're always turning to a substitute. Isn't that the truth about addicts? Isn't that the truth about drunks? I don't call, them, call it alcoholism. I call it, uh, I call it living on substitutes. They don't really learn to deal with anything. But transformation, Jesus illustrates this 
used an illustration in John 16, verse 20. And this was his teaching right before he got to praying. He said in John 16, 20, look at it. Verily, verily, it means truly, truly, listen up. I say unto you that ye which weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful. But your sorrow shall turn into joy. Listen to this now. And he gives an illustration so we'll understand it. And you women that's had babies, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What he's talking about. A woman when she's in travail shall sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born into the world. And you now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. Folks, joy is through transformation. The same baby that caused so much pain caused so much joy. Notice Jesus said, your sorrow will be replaced by joy. No, he didn't say that. He said, your sorrow will turn into joy. Transformation. The Lord is a major on transforming. Amen? They got all these crazy movies out. I watched one one day. About all these things transforming, you know. Uh, I mean, trucks into monsters. And, and, and these kids soak it up. Some of you adults, I tell you not. Yeah, that's my favorite right there, number three. They do a series on the crazy thing. Transformation. Transformers. And folks, we believe that junk, that's a bunch of junk. It's a bunch of toys. Uh, you know, it's immaturity, but, you know, the world cannot bring about that kind of transformation because the world depends on substitutes. Paul said it like this, the thorn in my flesh can turn into joy. I want you to turn one of the greatest verses in the Bible on suffering, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. One of the greatest verses, I've got to close, my time's up, but I've got to show you this before we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, because this can help somebody that's hurting, somebody that's in pain. Boy, we hate to see our loved ones in pain. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse um, nine, 7 says, Unless I should be exalted above measure, this is after he went to heaven, through the abundance of revelation that he got see in heaven, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan that buffeted me, lest I should be exalted above measure. You know, humility can be transformed into holiness. And holiness can be transformed into joy. And without holiness, there is no happiness. There's a lot of people making resolutions for this coming year. I don't believe in that. I believe you ought to make resolutions for eternity. I believe there ought to be eternal resolutions. I hope you got my post today from Brother Scott Polly, tremendous, on Jonathan Edwards' resolutions that he made. And they were all eternity. They were all on eternity. And folks, we ought to be eternal-minded. And folks, I want you to look at verse uh, 8. For this thing I besought the Lord twice, three times that I might depart from me. He prayed, Paul now, a man of God, no sin in his life, obvious sin, probably not no unconfessed sin, let's put it that way. I'm sure he wasn't perfect. He prayed three times. Lord, this hurts. Please, deliver me. Heal me. Heal me. Heal me. 
And then again, some people believe that you've got sin in your life if you're not healed. That is a false doctrine made up by TV evangelists that's trying to get you to mar- uh, parade across their platform so they can get rich. Folks, that's not a biblical. It's a heresy. And I said that and somebody got mad at me and left the church about two years ago. But I'll say it again. It's a false doctrine. That you're, every time you have sickness in your life, uh, it's because of sin. No, it's not. It's because God wills it. But He never wills for you not to have the miracle of grace when you're hurting. Look at verse 9. And He said unto me, I'm talking about joy being uh, not a substitute, but a transformation. Sorrow into joy. That's a transformation. He says, And He said unto me, I prayed three times, Lord, heal me. Lord, heal me. This thorn's hurting, please. And sometimes it's God's will for to deliver you, but sometimes it's not. And it says, by grace, my, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. That was his answer. He didn't say, well, I'm going to heal you if you just believe more and get your life right. Now, there is a sin, there is a sickness because of sin. It's called chastisement. you got sin in your life, the Lord knows how to uh, lay it on you. He knows how to take you to hickory. Uh, hickory switch like my mother used to. Uh, that bush next to my front door never grew right because she kept on taking limbs off of it and beating the devil out of me, you know. No, she didn't really do that. She spanked me with the Board of Education. But anyway, look at this. It says, With this thing I besought the Lord twice that He might depart from me. And He said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee. Now listen to this. This is the beautiful transformation. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Folks, one of the greatest times to witness is when you're hurting. One of the greatest times to be faithful is when you're hurting. And I've seen people lose babies and never come back to church. I've seen people lose their mama or daddy and never come back to church and shake their fist at God and blame God. I've seen it over and over in these 40 years. I never thought I'd see it. never thought people would be that bitter at God. They lose their daddy and never come back. Blame it on God. It says, it says, for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. But I want to show you the transformation. Show you the miracle that you can have in your Christian life. Most, what's the next word, class? Gladly. <laughs> I mean, here he is hurting. Here he is weeping. Here he is praying, oh God, deliver me. Oh God, heal me. And then the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then he said, change his prayer. Most gladly, therefore. That's total submission. All is at rest. I'm a Savior. I'm happy and blessed. He said, most gladly, therefore. Will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Then he goes a step further in his prayer. What a prayer. Therefore, this is the second greatest prayer in the Bible. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Pleasure in infirmities? You've got to be kidding. In reproaches. In other words, Paul's life was not comfortable. If you'll read um, the, the next chapter back, chapter 11, I don't have time, but it says he was beat more times than Christ was beat. He was shipwrecked, he was in journeys often, robbers, perils, 
weakness, weariness, painfulness. I'm looking verse 27. Fasting is often. And he says, but besides those things which are without, that which cometh me daily, the care of all the churches. He had churches going crazy, going into sin, suing each other, having affairs with each other in the church. I'm talking about 1 Corinthians. Corinthian, car, carnal Corinthians, corrupt Corinthians. And he said, all this breaks my heart. So he says, I'll take pleasure in reproaches and necessities and persecution and distresses. Now here's the, whole, here's the whole thing that Christ is praying for you to get. For Christ's sake. When I'm weak, then say it's going to be replaced now. He said, when I'm weak, then... Am I what? Strong. And so folks, how can God transform suffering into pleasure? The pleasure is that no matter what, if we're yielded to God, He gets the glory. That we have the grace of God upon our life. Sometimes it's not always God's will to heal you of cancer or whatever you got, but it's always God's will for you to have grace during it. And the reason is because people get the telescopes and the binoculars out and say, now he's going to fall, now he's going to recant, now he's going to blame God, now he's going to quit church, now he's going to be angry, now he's going to get bitter. And when you do not, and you rejoice, and you yield, and you praise God anyway, I'm telling you, that thorn in the flesh turns into a crown of glory. And God gets the glory. And God gets the honor. And souls get saved. And folks, I don't know the results of it, but I think it would be, even though I'm suffering and I'm hurting, God, what a joy that you use this to bring somebody out of hell's path into heaven and they're saved because I did not recant, I did not get bitter, I did not give up, I just depended on God. And I became Jesus' answer to his prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this first point. Didn't get too far in it. Didn't want to, but God, thank you for your joy. It's supernatural joy. It does not depend upon the substitutes of this world. Lord, you mentioned that before you started dealing with we have your word, that we have your joy. And I believe, folks, the joy is, if I'm not mistaken, Lord, the joy is your presence. The joy is your power. And thank God the joy is your purpose. is greater than our purpose. And your plan is greater than our plan. And Lord, even through all our disappointments and heartaches and heartbreaks, when you say no, like some people so beautifully taught Sunday morning in the 10 o'clock hour, that you have a plan, and you have a purpose. When you allow us to suffer, when you allow us to go through heartaches, the redounding glory of God is at stake. And Lord, I believe that's exactly what you prayed for in your high priestly prayer, is that we would have the full joy, even in the times of persecution, in the times of this awful persecution that these disciples went through and Paul described in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that we never 
never give up on you. And never give in to the devil's advertisement to give up on God. But rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice.